Hello, and welcome to Tech, the Olympus NDT podcast. My name is Emily Peloquin, and I want to thank you for tuning in today. This podcast is all about NDT and about the incredible people that work in our industry. I've been in this industry for just over a decade now, and I'm still amazed by the incredible people that I get to work with and how tightly connected this community is. On this show, have the chance to welcome experts from the field to chat about everything and anything, from challenging applications to new trends and even tips and tricks on how to improve your NDT game. I hope you'll enjoy the unique insight that our guests are sharing with us and that it'll inspire others to also want to help in making this world a safer place. Today, I had the pleasure and the honor to receive Dave Pajula on the show. You might have heard his name before, since Dave has been in the NDT industry for over 39 years, and he is a well of knowledge. But Dave's not only a technical guy, he's also very passionate about NDT as a whole, and he has been hands-on contributing in improving our industry for many, many years. To me, he's an inspiration, and I sure hope you'll get inspired too by our conversation. So without further ado, let's just jump in and listen to Dave Bajula. So Dave, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate uh, uh, that you joined me, and I'm looking forward for our conversation. Thank you very much. You're most welcome. It's my honor. So first, uh, I always like to start with you know, a lot of people don't barely know how to spell NDT, <laughs> I like to say. So, you know, a non-destructive testing can be a um, mystery for a lot of people. So how did you stumble on this industry? Well, actually, I went to school in Minnesota. So Hutchinson NDT School was, was there. So I knew a little bit about it. But my cousin actually dragged me into NDT. He was on his way there. And and I personally was on my way to uh Bell and Howe Electronic School. I oh, wanted to be okay. electrician or electrical engineer. Really? And uh, I changed changed courses at the last minute and then went to uh, Hutchinson to learn about NDT. That's very neat. And so what was the the first technique you stumbled? What, what was he uh, actually uh, testing? What, what, what was his certification or what was he into? Well, the incredible thing at the time about Hutchinson was uh, they had a two-year program where they first taught you how to weld. Okay. So you learned welding, and then they also taught you about metallurgy. But my first technique was probably, I think I studied, was radiography, because okay. you were expected to x-ray your own welds. That's and, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but, you know, the school at the time taught every single discipline, including leak testing, acoustic emission, infrared, I mean, you name it, at the time in 1980, you know, all the methods were covered. So it was quite interesting. Was it, Were you a good welder or that's why you went into inspection? <laughs> uh, we were qualified, yeah. You actually become a qualified, certified welder in, uh, in three different welding techniques. Oh, so, that's so good, yeah. Uh, the welding aspect is, was kind of nice because you, you feel a little bit like an artist, you know, making a pretty bead and making a perfect pass and... 
you know, there's a lot of art to welding. I got a lot of yeah. respect for welders that certainly uh, make good welds. Yeah, yeah, that's that's also my background, and and I feel like if you have welded before, I think it it does make you a better inspector because you understand, you know, the obviously the methods and how they work, but also the the defects and how they work and how it's possible that they they occur there, you know. So, yeah, Absolutely. Uh, and so, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're a, a certified level three in UT, ET, MT, PT, uh, IR, LT, ML, uh, and VT. I think I should have said the one you're not certified in. I think it would have been faster. Um, so, but you you started with, with RT. Was it the first one that you became level three in? Well, actually, I, I became certified simultaneously when I worked with Magnaflux in the four core methods, uh, UT, MT, PT, RT. So, you know, those four core methods were as immediately. And at the time, I did a bunch of acoustic emission as well. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be taking my level three in acoustic emission probably next month. So oh, really? Have, okay. Okay. Yeah. The only one I'll miss, and I probably, and I've done a little bit, but not in a long time, was neutron radiography. So... You know, from from that perspective, I've been very, very blessed in my career to have the opportunity to actually work in every single technique and method. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's so, that's uh, pretty rare indeed. Yeah, that and uh, you know they all have their specific application. But uh, you say neutron. Yeah, neutron radiography. Radiography. Okay. And what's the? Uh, I want to say you know there's always. Uh, there's always a list of pros and cons for every method, right? So what would be the, the pros of this one? Uh, neutron? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. it's, well, it's, it's used mostly in, in heavy industries, uh, certainly uh, components that, that have water. You know, water becomes a moderator. So, mm. you know, you want to inspect certain things. Uh, neutron sensitivity sens- tends to be somewhat better. But in the oil and gas and the markets that we're in right now, we just simply don't use neutron radiography. We might use uh, neutron backscatter techniques, okay. but okay. you know that's really a, a separate hybrid. So you know it's the one method that, and even in the AS&T world right now, we got very few people that uh, still practice neutron radiography. I see. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely not the one we hear the most uh, the most about. Um, and so you've you've been in the industry for about thirty nine years, I believe. Yeah, that's yeah, eighty one. <laughs> That's oh, really impressive, yeah. So, yeah. I, and I'm sure that in those 39 years or so, um, you know, uh, NDT, uh, as we as we know, usually get us to uh, travel quite a bit, you know, all over the the world, really. Uh, and so, I'm curious. In, in 39 years, again, I, I'm sure you've seen some amazing places. But what was the what's what's your best story, your best travel story, in your opinion, or your best inspection story, even if it wasn't uh, that far that uh, you can recall in those 39 years? Wow. Yeah, there's so many. Uh, but I will say one of the most intriguing, uh, certainly the funner projects that I had, I was uh, working in the aerospace side. I, I worked in Lompoc, California with when I was with combustion engineering. And it was right after the, the shuttle failures and the Titan 34D oh. rocket failures. So oh, wow. we went out there for a six-week project uh, to, to do some inspection on the Titan 34D rockets. And it turned into a two-year, three-year project. You know, so, uh, you know, that was just really amazing. Got to see a lot of launches, got to see enhanced quality that's on the side of aerospace when it comes to doing inspections compared to, you know, maybe oil and gas. But oh, yeah. uh, 
uh, I literally, at the end of the job, I bought a Corvette on per diem money. I mean, I was out there for two years, you know, so this is quite amazing. Oh, well, how long was supposed to be the project? I was supposed to be there six weeks. Oh, wow. Um, was in a hotel for the first six months. You know, I got so many points in Hyatt, it was just crazy. And then we moved into condos after that, so... <laughs> wow, that's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, that and that's the thing with NDT too. You know, you need to be open for to to travel, uh, for sure. But uh, you you never know how, how long you're going to be gone for either. Huh? Exactly. In six six months and and two years, there's a big gap. And so uh, you you've been also um, obviously extremely involved with the uh, within the NDT community. I know that you've been chair for ASNT from uh, 2017 to 2018. Uh, and before that, uh, you were director as well. Uh, and I know that you've seen the community uh, evolve and change over time and so on. Um, in your opinion, what's the, the biggest challenge that our very small industry has? What's the, the let's say, What do you see it as the good, the bad, the ugly, in your opinion, in this industry? Yeah, that's a deep subject <laughs> and a lot of debate on that right now, you know, certainly. Um, but, you know, like almost any craft or any trade, you know, it really, really does come down to the, to the people, you know, mm -hmm. the work ethic and the desire to do, you know, to, to work well. Um, I think... Uh, You know, following procedures is certainly somebody's taught to do and can do it quite easily. Mm -hmm. But uh, it goes above and beyond that. Um, you know, the drive to to make the perfect inspection and you know get the perfect report and, and cover all your bases from A to Z. You know, that still many times is what's missing even today. And honestly, 40, 50 years from now, it'll be the same. You know, as we migrate a little bit more towards AI and 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 forcing people to. To, to collect good data such that computers and AI can handle the analysis, you know, I think we'll always have that, that, that personal element to it that we just can't get away from. Right. Yeah. Integrity. You can't really, uh, you know, the, the, that's not something you can easily teach. Uh, and that's not something, you know, uh, again, a, uh, a robot might be able to, uh, to give you the exact data, but what we do with the data is always up to a person. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Absolutely. And in and, and all industries, you know, I've worked in the oil and gas mostly, but uh, it's funny, I started in the oil and gas in 1980, 81, I guess, 82, with Magnaflux, and then went to nuclear, then went to aerospace, and then back into oil and gas. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, oil and gas is certainly where most of the challenges are. There's, there's just so many more damage mechanisms to, to deal with and critical components that there seems to be in some of the other industries. And, and you know, it, it demands the most challenges as well, Yeah, um, I think, anyway. Yeah, no, for sure. And failure is, uh, you know, definitely not an option there either. So can can cause very drastic, uh, as we know, you know, a, a lot of uh, events in the past, you know, in the oil and gas have shown to, uh, you know, the... the It's lives that we're talking about, of course. So it's, uh, yeah, failure is not an option. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. Yep. Yeah. Well, speaking about, uh, you know, as we said, integrity, you know, it's definitely everything in NDT. And, and I know that, uh, you know, in schools, uh, you know, they were beating that into our head pretty heavily, which is very important, obviously. But we would have uh, some... Um, 
former students that were now in the in the field that would come back with some just insane stories about how their um, integrity have been put to the test, let's say. And so th did you ever had, you know, some interesting stories like that where uh, it could have re not gone both ways, but where you've been tested basically for your integrity? Yeah, that's a that's a good one. I mean, it, it happens less and less from certainly testing your integrity. But, you know, the fact that, you know, the, the old adage is uh, trust but verify. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's a common industry practice now. I mean, you know, I think we're constantly challenged, you know, to to, to make sure that what we're reporting and what we're doing is accurate. I mean, you're, you're familiar with probability detection yeah. and studies that get done, you know, dealing with fracture mechanics and finite element analysis and all that stuff only works if you have accurate data. Right. You know, so, you know, I would argue that every single day we're challenged. But as far as actually being challenged, mm -hmm. I'll never forget I was in a nuclear power plant and I was down there, you know, in a full PC, protective clothing, doing mm -hmm. manual UT scanning for IGSCC. And at the time, the NRC regulator... You know, I won't say his name, no, but please, uh, he, <laughs> please he, don't. <laughs> he come down and, and, and challenged that I was scanning too fast. Mm. And I said, uh, I said, apologize, sir. I, I wasn't scanning fast. I, I certainly covered it. And he literally got down there. He had a stopwatch and he was measuring my couplet tracks and the distance between the tracks to make sure I had enough overlap. Mm. And, I, and I'll never forget that. And I've always remembered after that. Thing. Kudos to him. I mean, as it turned out, I was OK. I didn't have to redo the exam. But uh, I'll never forget that level of scrutiny with somebody up there watching you do your work. And every single inspection I do, I think there's somebody there behind me watching my work. So, you know, maybe that's helped shape the, the level of quality that I put into the work I do now. Who knows? Right. But I'll never forget that. Wow. Yeah. No, no pressure. <laughs> no pressure at all. Well, that's interesting. Um, another subject that I know you have uh, to heart. And so we'll, you know, we, we can, I'm sure, talk for hours on this, but um at least I want to make sure we touch base on this. So I heard you speak publicly. Uh, I believe it was at a SNT event or um, API conference about the the decline of the the skill level of technician and the response from the industry uh, was to actually impose more performance testing on the inspectors instead of addressing the the problem. So. Um, you know, again, I just I'm kind of curious on your point of view is what what would have been the right way to address that lack or that problem uh, of the, um, uh, the instead of imposing more performance testing? Yeah, I mean, I think it's getting better. I mean, there is there is a tendency uh, industries forcing things, uh, you know, the in, in back in the days of nuclear work, it was it was EPRI. Anybody that wanted to do scanning, you know, on critical piping, whether it's high energy piping, recirculation piping, hot reheat piping, even reactors, whatever it was, you know, there was a level of rigor they could put into that to make sure people were qualified. Mm -hmm. You know, and many times other applications and oil and gas, I mean, you know, it does get to be a balance of economics. But in my humble opinion, I've often said, I said, you know, we need to raise the bar uh, slightly 
Uh, obviously, there's a cost impact for that. But mm-hmm. I've never been a real fan of a 70% uh, for a pass rate. Uh, and I'm a marginal fan of 80%. I think in certain situations, maybe the pass rate should be 90%. Right, um, right. You know, people tend to do only as good as they have to. You know, so <laughs> if you tell them they That's only right. need to be at 70%, then most of the time people will be slightly better than that. Right. And, and many times it, it takes more and more. Yeah, so AST has incorporated the ISQ exam, which is which is another step. It's a performance-based exam. Okay. Where AST is totally redesigning their their ACCP program, which is include uh, greater rigor in the practical examinations. Oh, okay. And and maybe over time, you know, ISO as well as a third party, uh, over time as they raise the bar a little bit, uh, you know, these examinations might be more globally accepted, such that. Less testing has to be done by owner users to assure that people are doing their work. You know, I laugh. Sometimes I compare the analogy to a welder. Welder gets done with one site, one job. What happens when he goes to the next one? Guess what? He has to completely requalify again. That's right. Now, That's m- true. It might be a little easier for him, but he still has to completely requalify again. You know, at some point, if we're not careful, you know, in NDT, we may get to the same thing where every single project you're requalifying. Yeah. You know, so... How do we balance that? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, you just have to figure it out. Just like the welder, maybe you had a bad day, maybe you're distracted, maybe you're, you know, there, there's a lot of um, things that can uh, be at play. So, yeah, that's that's uh, that that would be cumbersome for sure. But that's that's an interesting point, though. Yeah, the other irony is is that we test people in a lab environment. You know, yeah. we don't test them in the real world environment half the time. You know, and and human factors are certainly a something we have to consider and, and we just often don't have a way to do that realistically, right? That's true. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's always place for improvement, that's for sure. But uh, yeah, the, the right balance is what's hard to strike, you know, when it becomes overly cumbersome for the for the purpose, you know. Yeah. So something else that you talked and wrote about a fair amount is something that you call heart. So H E A R T Um, I think that's something that you came up during your chairman year at ASNT. Can you talk or walk us through uh, HART? Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. So actually, uh, it was during my presidentship uh, when I was president. You know, the president has the opportunity to produce a monthly letter. And uh, back since 2006, I adopted uh, a concept over here at at Akron where I'm at with the advanced group, uh, You know, uh, the concept of having heart, you know, you know, the work we do is is so very important and it's important that you do the best inspection you can every day. Mm-hmm. You know, so when I was president, I took the opportunity to to outline heart for, you know, certainly for the AST members, if you will. And it started with a concept that, you know, failure is just simply not an option for us. You know, there's too much at stake with the NDT that we do. Right. And, and I tell my guys all the time and all, all, all the people working across the, across the company that you got to have heart. And, and what is heart? You know, it's, it's, you know, a synergy and balance between honesty, excellence, accuracy, respect and teamwork. And, you know, it's almost like the three-legged stool. You take any one of those elements away and... And, and you're going to fail or, or fall on your face, you know. Mm-hmm. And honesty is at the top of the list, you know, with, with, with heart. Uh, integrity is, is what we do. Major decisions are made, you know, on our inspection results. Yeah. And there's just simply a level of trust that is implied. 
um, you know, safety factors of components, you know, are based on that level of trust. You know, engineers, you know, make decisions and reliability decisions based on the NDT, and and uh, it's important that that information is, is is certainly correct. And you would think in a day like today that you know the radaring of film and pencil whipping data and not following procedures just doesn't exist anymore, but uh, mm-hmm. you know it still does to this day. Are you familiar with what radaring film means? Uh, no, no, I'm not. Can you uh, expand on that? Yeah, absolutely. So, so radaring film is basically shooting the same weld over and over and changing the ID on it to make believe that you shot multiple welds. Oh, yeah. Okay, I've heard the concept. I I know that is has been done in in the field, unfortunately, but yeah. It, so it's still still happening to this day. Still to this wow. day, there's still issues with with people doing that. Consequences kind of might shortcuts. be, you know, is. Um, is is it uh what's the outcome i mean i'm sure that uh, there is some very serious legal uh repercussion hopefully oh absolutely and normally a film is reviewed by an owner user or if there's a level three oversight it gets caught because Mm -hmm. you know all welds are almost like a fingerprint you know there's really no two welds alike even in the best of automated welds you can see subtle differences in the contour of the beads or or the content of the weld so so radaring film is 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 uh, just really gets caught on most cases but but the sad part that is happens today so wow. you know my point is that you know honesty is is paramount you know yeah. and although integrity can be hard to achieve it's 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 very easy to lose yeah and e is excellence excellence is about doing your best i mean like i talked about uh, on some other things you know you got to give 110% And in today's economic times, as we balance faster, better, and cheaper, Mm -hmm. uh, the clients are demanding that we provide services better, faster, and cheaper. We still have to achieve excellence. And and that's a big challenge, as you know. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good point. That is. And then A is accuracy. Well, NDT, you know, (laughs) goes without saying that we want accuracy. Yes. It's, Very it's, much so. It's, it's, it's paramount. I use I use a target analogy sometimes, you know, showing what low accuracy and low precision looks like versus high accuracy and high precision. Yeah, because those two terms gets uh, mixed around quite a bit, uh, and that that's that's true. That uh, precision or accuracy might not is not the same thing actually. You're right. Yeah, they definitely aren't. Being able to be repeatable basically is the right. So that is that how you would define it? Uh, the accuracy exactly. Yep, yep, exactly. And, you know, the frequency rule generally applies as well. You know, I mean, we don't always understand completely the frequency rule and the tolerances that we have mm-hmm. and the range of variation in the inspection that we're doing. You know, so it's important that we uh, you know, be as accurate as we can in our inspections, you know. Yeah. And the R is for respect. You know, respect is treating every person, you know, you know as a, with dignity and high value. You know, respect is given, you know, before it's earned. And like honesty, can be easily lost. Mm-hmm. You know, the biggest part about respect that I focus on with most of the technicians is the rules of engagement and procedures. You have got to respect the procedures. When you do an inspection mm-hmm. out there, you, you, you got to follow the script, you know. Right. And it's, it's too common for people to go cowboy and think they know better or this, that, or the other. And, you know, as a level three, you got quite a bit of discretionary to do above and beyond and certainly uh, right. modify procedures as they need to be modified. But level twos, they really need to follow the procedure and the script. 
I can't tell you how many people I've walked up to in an audit out in the field and technicians and asked them where their procedure was. And they says, well, uh, it's back at the office or, oh, you wow. know, it's it's in the truck or it's on my computer or, or I know it by heart. I don't need to have it, mm-hmm. you know, so. You know, the biggest respect one can give for the NDT certainly is is, is doing the work to the procedure and, and making sure that you understand that completely. Right, because somebody took the time to write it. Uh, level three took the time, and so there's there's a reason why it's there. Certainly, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then respecting the welders and fabricators. You know, as I've mentioned mm-hmm. many yeah. times, you know, you got to really be careful and about giving bad news to you know the people that take good pride in their work. You know, yeah. you know, you talk about things in terms of well, there might be some issues here that may not meet the acceptance criteria of this particular code, but you certainly don't go out there and, and tell them they got trash welds and, and you know, they got no business welding. And, you know, I've seen all sorts of uh, communication and in and, and respect of, of the people doing the work is the same as, as respecting the people that actually made the welds. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Very inspectors important. and welders, it's, uh, it's important to keep the... The respect there, exactly. That's uh, that's true. They work hand in hand and not uh, against each other. Yeah, absolutely. And then team is for teamwork. You know, it, it goes without saying that you know we're all we're all accustomed to the teamwork concept associated with sports and competition, getting the best results when people work together. But you know, radiography is you know it's they're unsung heroes most of the time. You know, radiography is still used 60 percent of the NDT out there, and the only gas is oh, done wow. with radiography. And although the RT technician, the level two, may be the most skilled and create the best film and you know, follow code and procedure. Don't forget about the radiation safety watch uh, personnel, mm-hmm. your assistants that are making sure that the environment is people, you know, in the in the radiation area are safe, you know. So it takes a team, you know. And a three-man team is typical for a radiography crew, and they all got to work together and, and make sure that they uh, get the job done right without exposing anybody to radiation. True, yeah. In the old scenario, it's not my job. It just doesn't cut it anymore, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so <laughs> That's right. as we strive to work safer and then do our do our NDT uh, to the highest of our ability, um, you know, sometimes that means you go above and beyond and make sure that you you cover all your bases. And that that, that really is a, a pretty quick summary of heart. You know, again, honesty, excellence, accuracy, respect, and teamwork. It's one of my big passions, and it's certainly I, I think about every day. Wow. I love it. Thank you for that. You're very welcome. Uh, and so uh, I know that you also, uh, well, you won many awards, uh, really. And uh, there's uh, there's one in particular for mentoring uh, within ASNT and that you won in 2016. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious, you know, if you can talk a little bit more about uh, the ASNT uh, mentoring program, but also, maybe we can start there. Uh, I'm curious to know, you know, who were your mentors when you started? You know, who were the, the people that were influential in your NDT career? Yeah, I've, I've got many mentors, but, you know, four or five uh, come to mind just, just off the top of my head. My first mentor was at the NDT school, a guy by the name of Dennis Barrett. He was my uh, counselor. You know, every, okay. every student has a, has a counselor that works with them, right? And, yeah. And, uh, he had a little bit of a problem with me, you know, at first time to college, uh, you know, you want a little party a little bit maybe, and maybe a little <laughs> slow on your work. And, you know, after a conversation with him several times and to make a long story short, after the first year, I think I was probably, 
you know, six weeks ahead of schedule, you know, mm-hmm. so, you know, I owe him uh, having counseling sessions with me on, on work ethic and getting things done. So he was certainly one of my big mentors. But throughout the course of my advanced career, um, you know, people like Chuck Hellyer, yeah. You know, Bob Cameron, uh, Ron Nesbitt, um, a guy by the name of, uh, oh, Mitch from, from the combustion engineering days, even Jack LaRoe and, and other people. I mean, you, you've identified mentors throughout your entire career. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the important thing is that, you know, you kind of carry the torch and you pass the torch. You know, those of us that have been blessed to be mentored in a profound way need to need to mentor back, you know, in another profound way, almost not necessarily paying it forward, but certainly paying it afterwards. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and that's, that's what you've been doing. So with, with ACE and T certainly and, and other places as well, but uh, so what's the, what's the ACE and T program exactly? And how does it, uh, how does it work? How does it mentor um, new, new NDT people? Yeah, so that's good. So I should know, the ins and outs of that program in great detail. Uh, I don't, but I, what I will say is that, you know, people can nominate you, you know, as a mentor. Oh, okay. And typically it's a nominated type of award. Um, some of them you can self uh, nominate, uh, and I'm not too sure if the mentor is one of them or not. There's many awards within the fine structure of AST. But, you know, for the most part, uh, there's a nomination that, that occurs, paperwork that's filled out, and then the committees evaluate. Uh, And they, have, you know, there's pretty good extensive uh, committee structure in place to evaluate uh, nominees for the various awards within ASNT. It was restructured about three, four years ago. Okay. And now there's non-financial awards versus financial awards, and the mentoring award fits in the non-financial category, of course. And um, you know, there's a peer review, and then the people are decided based on, you know, the application process and 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 the work that they have done. And that's that's the structure as I know it today. That's great. That's good. Good to know, and hopefully uh, that can maybe uh, steer some people from going and and putting you know the some people's candidature and or votes even. So hopefully that brings a bit a bit of awareness. Um, so and and talking about other awards too, um, you've won over the years. You know, again, uh, few few uh, multiple awards, but uh, there was a. Uh, There was two that one was for the uh, from the Texas governor uh, Greg Abbott, right, uh, for recognition honors, uh, and another one from Houston mayor. So can you tell us a little bit about that? So it was NDT related, right? Yeah, well, the, those were a bit of a surprise, but uh, I would say that's a, really very impressive. Yeah, yeah, that one, especially the the mayor uh, of Houston. He declared uh, October 30th, uh, 2018, as Dave Bajula Day. But, you know, the mayor has <laughs> given, you know, recognition, you know, for multiple things. And in this case, uh, uh, some members at AS&T uh, submitted uh, a process to be considered. And, and actually, I was, I was quite taken back from it, without a doubt. Um, but I must say that, uh, you know, in 1988 or 9 or 90, I had gotten a Flame of Excellence Award from ABB. I was working with ABB back in then, and that day in, in 1989. It had to do with the Titan 34D rocket process. I mean, okay. I, I was integral in helping uh, refine the ultrasonic automated imaging technique that we did. So, you know, that one was uh, was pretty nice as well. 
I remember that one. Uh, that that one comes to mind uh, before all the others. To be honest with you. Yeah, I bet. When was that again? 1989, I wow. think. Wow. Yeah. That's very impressive. Yeah, I mean, you know, when <laughs> you don't do it, I'm sure for the awards, but it's always very appreciated when people do uh, recognize the the hard work and um, yeah, the 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 contribution. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, I guess on a more applicative uh, note, you know, I was, uh, was reading obviously about you and your careers because I've been knowing you personally for many years, but I don't, you know, I don't know everything because this in 39 years, there's quite a bit that you've done, I have to say. And so um, reading about, you know, the different applications that you worked on. Uh, I know that you worked on um, about 14, 14 years ago on what would be maybe the predecessor to uh, FMC and TFM. Um, and so if you can share, of course, I'm not sure if that's something you can actually share, but if you can, uh, what was the application that uh, was targeted at the time and what was that method that uh, would be considered somewhat the predecessor to uh, uh, maybe FMC and TFM. Yeah, very interesting. So it, it was a one-off thing, and it was basically to evaluate, uh, you know, similar to a creep problem, but uh, it was uh, magneto-restrictive pipe bends. Okay. Um, and actually it had to do with, a, if I recall, a little bit of a metallurgy problem, a little bit too much aluminum, mm -hmm. uh, and then a little bit too quick of bending at, a, at the wrong temperature. And in, in the end, they were getting, uh, you know, almost uh, indicative of micro fissuring. I think uh, there was a, ultimately there was probably a failure during a hydro. And then when they did the cross section, they realized that there was, uh, you know, in brand new piping that had been bent, this micro fissuring problem. Mm. So at the time, I was pretty dialed into the the folks up there at, uh, I think they were combustion engineering at the time. Maybe they were Westinghouse, but uh, Dr. Brook. Uh, was a Russian scientist, if you will, there. And um, a couple other guys that were there. Uh, Von Gagner was there at the time, um, some others. But uh, we were dabbling with uh, with basically dual pitch catch uh, time of flight diffraction. Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah, the, the principals there in the lab and uh, myself and said, hey, we, we really need to enhance, you know, our uh, resolution here on being able to see this kind of micro damage. And, and literally within a few weeks, they were able to put together the uh, you know, the uh, the probes and the uh, and the software to do a multi-grid, multiplexing uh, time of flight diffraction using phased array probes. And it was the precursor, in my opinion, to the certainly uh, uh, FMC, um, or, yeah, mostly FMC, because yeah. it was it was done live. And the beauty of this TOF technique is is that you had most TOF techniques, you, you're, you're doing line scans and, and you really don't know where in the axial dimension it might be. Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, it's within the boundary of the probes, certainly within the beam envelope. Mm -hmm. But in this, unless you do a raster B scan with TOF, but in this case, you had a volumetric grid that you would set up in resolution per grid and you would be able to see exactly where the, where the flaw was. And the sensitivity we were getting was down in the microns. Wow. Um, yeah. And that, I, I, I'm, I'm assuming that even if it was highly, um, well, high resolution, um, because it was 
tough that m must have been fairly fast or was it still uh you know it was very speed slow we yeah, were after okay. scanned at about a quarter inch a second yeah it was pretty slow but we were doing isolated areas on these pipe bends um and at the time we didn't understand uh, completely the the resolution capabilities mm -hmm. and we were ranking these things as you know good moderate the bad and ironically, all the bad ones that I had called out in this particular study, uh, those live uh, units that we inspected, and they cross-sectioned them, we were spot-on perfect. Oh, wow. Oh, that's yeah. always good. <laughs> that's what you want. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was spot-on perfect. So, uh, you know, after that one application, went out and did a couple of creep exams. Uh, unfortunately, the, the plant we went to didn't have any real creep damage on their piping anyway, mm -hmm. and it was a little bit of a slow process. Um, wasn't really uh, a lot of interest in enhancing the quality at that time because uh, conventional Toft and phased ray certainly gives us a great precursor or certainly a great cursory examination. You know, so... You know, the tool sat on the shelf. It's actually still sitting on the shelf at my lab here. Really? That's yeah. that's kind of crazy. <laughs> you would think that, uh, you know, that's what everybody would want. But, uh, yeah, sometimes we're set in our ways and that's, that's... There's been a lot of enhancements now with commercialization of the, you know, FMC and TFM technique. So, right, yeah. you know... You know, this one will sit on the on the shelf or or, or be in the history of the archives. And right. That'll, that'll be the extent of it. Yeah, yep. FMC 14 years uh, before its time. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, I guess lastly, uh, there's there's always a, a question that I, I do like to um, to to cover um, because I. I like to think that some people that would uh, stumble on this podcast would be fairly new to NDT um, or or to the industry in general. So, if some, if what would you say, let's say, to somebody who would like to start in this industry, what do you think it, what does it take, or um, what w should they be aware of before jumping in? Well, be aware of that's that's a little tougher question, but certainly, you know, I think what it takes to succeed or to be, uh, you mm -hmm. know, a, at least a good or great technician, um, like just about anything else you do in life, it takes uh, dedicating and achieving, you know, a hundred ten percent. You know, never never give less than a hundred percent, and develop a passion. I mean, you really got to love love what you're doing, you know, to be able to many times be good at it. Um, you know, I've, my brother, uh, growing up was a pretty good artist and he could draw real well. And as, as much as I like to maybe draw, um, I was never really good at sketching like he was. He could draw somebody's face and it would look just like a, like a human. I draw one and it looked like a stick figure, you know? So, <laughs> I mean, you know, sometimes it takes a little bit more than passion. There's also skill involved, certainly. But, uh, I, I tell people mostly getting into NDT, you know, make sure and be prepared to to learn the craft, and and make sure you you understand. You know, especially the welding. If you're in most industries, has welds, but uh, more importantly, the, the basic four: MTPT, UT, and RT. You need to understand volumetric exams versus surface exams, mm -hmm. and and don't don't pigeon your pigeonhole yourself into you know just one area. Um, I've been very blessed to be to work in all areas of NDT, so. You know, I might have a little bit of an unfair advantage uh, going to a school like Hutch, but it doesn't matter where you get your training. 
you know, where you get your experience. It only matters that you do get training and you do get experience. And then you put 110% into what you do and, and you will be successful, almost guaranteed. I love it. Well, thank you very much, Dave. I really appreciate uh, the, the time that you took uh, to uh, to be on here uh, and uh, uh, really love to, to chat with you. Hopefully we'll get to chat some more and hopefully we'll be able to have you on this podcast again. It's always a pleasure, Emily. If you enjoyed our chat, please feel free to comment or like this episode. And if you would like to hear someone on this show or you would like to be on the show yourself, just email us at podcast at olympus.com and you could be our next guest. In the meantime, thanks for listening. This was Emily with Inspect Tech, the Olympus NDT podcast. Take care and we'll talk soon.